of Jesus Christ this morning. Just a small part of it due to our, our time frame here on Sunday morning. Just a small part of the resurrection of Christ. As you look into the first part of Matthew 28 and Mark 16 and Luke 24, you see some women coming to the tomb early on the first day of the week. Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, Joanna, Salome, and some other women. And they're going to meet, according to Luke's account, two angels at the tomb. And the great stone before the tomb of Jesus will have been rolled away by the angel. And the women will come to the tomb. What do the women have with them? They have spices with them. They are going to finish, in their mind, they're going to finish anointing the body of Jesus. They have no idea how they're going to get that big stone rolled back. They'll figure that out when they get there. They have no idea that there were guards at the tomb, but they were coming to finish a job. The angels, on the other hand, had a couple things on their minds. First, to proclaim to the women that Jesus is not here, he's risen. And secondly, to encourage the women to spread the news of Jesus' resurrection. So we want to focus right in on the angels' words to the women. And notice how that the angels incorporate five gifts they encouraged the women to use five gifts, really five gifts that they already had right there before them. Use these five gifts in order to go and spread the news. So we'll get started on this. Remember the resurrection of Jesus is huge. Huge. And we could spend not just an hour not just a day, but several days discussing this important topic. We will narrow it down to the words of the angels to these women this morning. First of all, the, the angels encourage uh, the women to use the gift of memory. To use the gift of memory. You'll see in your Bibles that as the women get there, the angel says to the women, I know that you seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen as he told you. As he told you. Okay. The angels encourage the women to try to remember. To remember. As they thought about it, they would remember that Jesus was known as Jesus of Nazareth. That was important. Jesus was known as Jesus of Nazareth. After Mary and Joseph, Matthew 2, had, had run to Egypt and, and stayed there for a while and came back to the land of Israel and they left the land of Israel and went into Galilee, they settled in the city of Nazareth and this is where Jesus was brought up. And he was known as Jesus of Nazareth. 
One example of that, John 1.45. John 1.45, Philip went to Nathaniel and says, We have found him. We have found him. The one of whom Moses spoke of and all the prophets wrote about, we have found him, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Over in Acts uh, 3 and verse 6 and Acts 4 and verse 10, when Peter and John healed the lame man, there at, going toward the temple, they healed the lame man. When Peter healed him, he said, in the name of Jesus of, of, of Nazareth, in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, I say to you, take up your bed and walk. When the Jewish officials wanted to know what Peter had been doing, Acts 4 verse 10, he says, I say unto you that in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, this man does stand here before you whole. These women were encouraged to remember this is Jesus of Nazareth. This is that same Jesus. Also, that, that this is that same Jesus who, who broke your heart. He was crucified. The, the, the reason that your heart is so crushed, the, the reason that you're here today to finish anointing, this is that Jesus who was crucified. Who was crucified. But mainly, if you look in Luke's account, Luke 24, the first few verses, you see the angels encourage the women to remember the words of Jesus. Notice that here uh, quickly. In Luke 24, they said, Luke 4, 24, 6, He's not here, He has risen. Remember how He told you when He was back in Galilee, how He told you that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered His words. Luke 24, verse 8. Now it would be good if, if we had the time. I'll just mention these verses to you. Okay? be good to read these verses I'm going to mention to you along with Luke 24 here. But just for the sake of time, if you go back to Luke 18, in verses 31, 32, 33, you see Jesus clearly stating to His disciples that He must go to Jerusalem. He must be mocked. He must be tortured. Okay? He must be delivered to sinful men. He must be killed. He must on the third day rise again. Also, similar passages uh, in, in succession. Mark 8, Mark 9, Mark 10. Mark 8, 31. Mark 9, around 31. Mark 10, 33. Almost verbatim to what the angel said here, that the Son of Man must be delivered in the hands of sinful man, be crucified, and on the third day rise. You see, Jesus means Savior. Jesus is the one who delivers but before He delivers us from our sin, He first must have allowed Himself to be delivered unto, into the hands of sinful man, which is exactly what happened, which is exactly what He predicted. And these women are encouraged to remember this. To remember this. Before they could spread this wonderful news, they must, they must incorporate, they must use the gift of memory that God has given them. And we too, of course, we need, to, we need to be sure to use our memory. Memory is so important. It allows us to worship. You know, in just a little while, we'll be around the communion uh, table. 
Jesus clearly said, Luke 22, 19, this do in remembrance of me. We use our memory to worship. We use our memory to worship. We use our memory to remember what it was like when we were not with Christ. Ephesians 2, verse 12, Paul says, remember how that at one time you were alienated from Christ, you were separated from Christ. We're to remember that so that we can be grateful to God for our salvation. Just as these women are encouraged to invoke their memory, so are we. We need to remember especially what it was like when we received forgiveness of sins. Have you been there? Have you obeyed the gospel? Have you turned from, from this old world of sin? Based on your faith, have you repented of your sins? Have you confessed Jesus as your Lord? Have you been immersed in water for the remission of sins as our Lord uh, instructs? We need to especially remember the, the, the freshness of that. The newness of that. Peter says this in 2 Peter 1 verse 9. He says, some are blind and cannot see afar off, and they have forgotten that they have been purged from their sins. We need to stay close. We must stay close to that time when we were forgiven in order to, to maintain our zeal, in order to maintain our, our newness before God. We must stay close to that. This was the problem that Jesus uh, addressed in Revelation 2, when he sent a letter to the church at Ephesus, he said, I have this against you. Okay. You're not doing the first works anymore. Remember, he said to them, remember now from whence you have fallen and, and repent and do the first works. They had lost that zeal. They had lost that newness, that, that freshness, that excitement of what it was to know that that burden of sin had been lifted. So these women are encouraged to use the, the gift of memory. Secondly, as, as we go back, as we go back to these passages in Matthew 28, Mark 16, and Luke 24, the women are encouraged to use a gift of reflection. Reflection. Gift of reflection. Because there in Luke's account especially, they show up at the tomb and they're there to, to anoint the body of Jesus and the angels ask them, why do you seek the living among the dead? A very good question. Very good question. If they, it's not wrong, of course. It's very good that they are seeking Jesus, but they're seeking Him in the wrong place. This was time for them to reflect on what they're doing. They... As we have seen, they needed to remember what Jesus had said and believe that. But also they needed to remember this, that God is not associated with death. God is not associated with death. There's nothing about God that spells death. Matthew twenty-two thirty-two, Jesus plainly says, God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. Why do you seek 
but living among the dead. What are you doing here? To these ladies, the angels say, what are you doing here? Psalm 42, 2 is one of my favorite little statements where David said, I thirst for God, for the living God. He's the living God. When you come over and you read about Jesus and you listen to His words, for example, in John 6 and verse 51, Jesus says, I am the living bread. I'm the bread that has come down out of heaven, but I'm the living bread. What God is. Hebrews 10.31 says, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Revelation 1, 17 and 18, Jesus said to John, Behold, I died, but now I'm alive forevermore. I am the first and the last, he said to John. I am the living one. Somewhere along the way, these women, if they ever knew this about God, they'd forgotten it, and so they needed to reflect upon what they were doing. Why are you seeking the living among the dead. Hopefully that can help us to reflect a little bit as well. Where do we find Jesus? We're not going to find Him in a dream. We're not going to find Him under a tree. It's interesting that the Word of God is called the Living Word. Hebrews 4 verse 12. Hebrews 4, verse 12. The Word of God is living and active and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. To follow that up, Peter says in 1 Peter 1 and, and 23, he says, We've been born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible seed by the Word of God that lives and abides forever. So it's not surprising that we find Jesus in the living Word because He's the living One. We need to reflect on that. There's a very good question, a very similar question, I think, found in Colossians 2 and verse 20. Okay? So, we're flipping over there. Colossians 2 and verse 20 helps us reflect on this idea why do you seek the living among the dead? Paul asked a question. He says, if if you have died to the world, if with Christ you have died to the world, which he's assuming, why? Because if you're a Christian, you have died to the world. If you're a Christian, you have died to sin. Okay. Well, Paul's, just like these angels, Paul's getting pretty close to rebuke here. He says, if with Christ you have died to the world, why is it as though you were still alive in the world do you submit to the regulations, the precepts, and the teachings of men? That makes no sense. Makes no sense. Okay. It made no sense for these women to be seeking Jesus on the first day of the week among the dead. Because he says, I am going to rise again. He's not here. He has risen. So why would we, as followers of the Lord Jesus, why would we go to the world for advice and for counsel? That is beyond me, isn't it? Isn't it you? It happens. It happens. It happens among the pews. It happens among, among Christians. 
when it comes to parenting, when it comes to teaching, when it comes to influence, first thing we do, we run to the world who are dead in sin. These religious groups that are, that are up and down the road, they are dead in sin. Paul asked the question, why is it as if you were still alive in the world that you go to these people and go, go to their principles and their ideas and follow them when you've got the truth right here in the midst of you, the living, active Word of God? You see, these women were encouraged to use their gift of reflection and we would be wise to do that as well. Some religious groups have allowed the world to influence their worship. And now worship looks more like a concert than it does worship. Okay. And so we could just go down that trail, but that's the kind of idea I'm talking about. And then thirdly, these ladies here at the tomb they are encouraged to use the gift of evidence because the angels say to them, they say, you seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He's not here. He has risen. Come and see. This is our phrase right here. Come and see the place where he lay. Come see the evidence for yourself. And if you look closely into Mark 16 around verse 5 or so and you look closely into Luke 24, you'll see these women actually went into the tomb. Luke 24, 3, I think it is. Mark 16, 5. They went into the tomb. They saw for themselves that Jesus is not there. Later that day, according to John 23 through 10, later that day, Peter and John will come running. Both of them running as fast as they can. John outruns Peter and gets to the tomb first, but he doesn't go in. He stoops down and he looks, and then here comes Peter after him, and Peter comes in, and he just goes right into the tomb, and then finally John goes in there with him, and what do they see? They don't see the body of Jesus. They see, they see the face cloth of Jesus lying there by itself, apart from the linen cloths that had covered the body of Jesus, but the body of Jesus was not there. You can't issue such an invitation unless you've got the best sort of evidence. And the reason these angels were able to, to issue this invitation to the ladies and say, come and see the place where he lay is because they had the best sort of evidence. And they were to use that gift as they worked this out in their mind and as they got ready to go and spread the news about the resurrection, this gift of evidence. As you read through the New Testament, people are always inviting others to see Jesus. John 1, 45 and 46, going back to Philip and Nathaniel there. Philip said, we have found him that Moses wrote about, Jesus of Nazareth, son of Joseph. And Nathaniel said, can anything, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said, come and see. See, when you are sure about Jesus, you're not hesitant to offer an invitation to come and see him, come and learn about him. John 4, 29, the woman that had been talking with Jesus at Jacob's well, she went away and she went to her friends and her family members. She said, come see a man who told me all that I've ever done. We only issue the invitation to learn about Jesus when we are sure about him. 
And to be sure about him, we must use the evidence, the gift of evidence, and oh, how much evidence we have. If you were to sum up the evidence for Jesus' resurrection, you would start with the empty tomb. And then you might proceed and say, well, there were numerous eyewitnesses, not just one, not just these women, but numerous eyewitnesses who both saw the empty tomb and saw Jesus alive. And then you might proceed to this third line of evidence that says, hey, there was a tremendous change, an impact change in the lives of Jesus' followers that suddenly occurred after the resurrection of Jesus. You see, we use the gift of evidence. And when we are sure about that evidence, then we will not be hesitant to share the news of Jesus to others. We've got to first be sure. Be sure. The fourth gift that these women are encouraged to use is the gift of responsibility. Because if you keep reading here, verses 5 through 7 of Matthew 28, verses 6 and 7 of Mark 16, verses 5 through 7 of Luke 24, you see, you see the words of these angels and they will eventually tell the women, go, go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead and tell them that he's going to meet them in Galilee. And so the women go quickly and they do what they're asked to do. God gives us all this gift of responsibility. He tells the women here to go. The women's words are going to fall on doubtful and hard hearts for at least for a while. But they, their responsibility was still to go as is ours. Now, these words of the angels to go to the disciples. Tell them that Jesus is risen. Tell them I'm going to meet them in Galilee. This is Jesus keeping his word. Open your Bibles with me. I want you to go to Matthew 28 with me. All right. I want you to see that what Jesus is doing here, he's keeping a word that he has already uh, spoken. Okay. So Matthew 28, see the, see the verse in verse 7 where he says, Go quickly, underline this, and tell his disciples he's risen from the dead. And I'm going before you to Galilee. Alright. Now flip your Bibles back to Matthew 26 and 31 and 32. Before his crucifixion, Jesus said to his disciples, You will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered but after I am raised, verse 32, notice this. After I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Jesus has never lost control. He knows exactly what is taking place. Isn't it amazing? Before the ordeal of the crucifixion, he already knows that when he raises from the dead... He comes forth from the dead. He knows exactly where he's going to meet his disciples and exactly when he's going to do that. And so he is keeping his word. He tells Peter and the disciples here, I'm going to meet you after I'm resurrected. I'm going to meet you in Galilee. And now the women are to go and tell them this. Turn over to Mark's account, if you don't mind. There's nothing like seeing it in your, in your own Bible. Mark 16 and verse 7 Again, the angel's words to the women, go and tell his disciples 
and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. And then you can connect that to Mark 14 in your Bible to verse 28, where very similar to Matthew 26, Jesus said to them, Mark 14 and 27, I'll start, Mark 14, 27, Jesus said to them, you will all fall away for it's written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. And after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. This is one of the great examples of Jesus keeping his word. He will always keep his word. He will always keep his word. Joshua 1.5 says, the Lord says to Joshua, as I was with Moses, I'll be with you. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Jesus keeps his word. He said to his disciples, I will meet you in Galilee. He says to us today, when you worship me, I will be there. I will meet you. I will meet you there. Not just in worship, but every day. The Lord says, I will be with you every day. I will never leave you nor forsake you. He's saying every time you wake up, I'm ready to meet you and walk with you that day. He keeps his word. Do I believe his word? That's one part of it, but he keeps his word. He keeps his word. And guess what? On that day, whenever it is, whether it be that he comes again, and we meet him in the air, or, or it is that we pass away from this life to the next, he will be there waiting for us. Just as he was there in Galilee waiting for his disciples, as they figure out their faith, he's waiting for them. So with those who will follow him in this life, those of us who will follow, if we will be faithful to him, he will be there waiting for us. We can, we can bank on that as just as well as the disciples could on this promise here at the resurrection. Notice here in Mark's account, the, the ladies are, said, are told to go and tell the disciples he's risen from the dead. And Peter, notice how Peter is singled out here. This is important because the last you read about Peter, Matthew 26, 75, is that he has denied the Lord and he has gone out and he has wept bitterly. In fact, going back to Matthew 26 where Jesus said, all of you are going to be scattered when they strike the shepherd, Peter spoke up and said, hey, not me, Lord. Not me. I will die for you. It will not be me, Lord. And then he failed the Lord. He went out and wept bitterly. Jesus reaching out to Peter just as he does to all of us in a very special way. Even though Peter had denied him, the Lord had not forgot about him. And he was opening up his arms. If Peter would come back in repentance, which he did, then the Lord would receive him back. So these ladies were to invoke this gift of responsibility the Lord had already given them. And then finally, they were to capture, use this gift of wonder, of wonder. When they approached the tomb, they had one thing on their mind, God had another. They had an important task. They were so good-natured in what they were doing. They wanted to help 
make sure the body of Jesus was cared for. Well, God had another thing on mind, and all of a sudden, you know, they were wondering as they approached, who's going to roll that stone away? All of a sudden, they see two angels in dazzling apparel. And they didn't know that the guards were there, but what happened to the guards, according to Matthew's account, the guards saw the angels and trembled, and they fell back as dead men. Which, by the way, opened up the opportunity for the angels and the women to have the conversation that they had. It's just amazing how God takes care of things. But they saw that happen. What, what an amazing thing to experience. When you come to Mark's account, Mark 16, around verse 8, as the women leave, they go and do as the angels instruct. As they leave, it says that their heart was full of fear and astonishment. And I think other places say they left with, with a great deal of joy and reverence. They have very much mixed emotions, which is exactly what we would expect them to have, having experienced what they have experienced. In Luke's account, verses 3, 4, and 5, as they approach, they see the angels. Luke says they were frightened and they fell down on the ground, flat on their faces. They bowed before them. There are things about God that we cannot grasp. They are, they are experiencing this firsthand, and we just experience it with our knowledge, but still, it's amazing. God has given us a sense of wonder, and we ought to use that. I'm certainly fine with it, aren't you? I mean, have you settled on the fact that you are not God? And that he is way, 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 way many levels higher than you are or I am. There are going to be some things, therefore, that we're not going to be able to understand. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 says his ways are higher than our ways. That's an understatement. And that, that very fact tells us there's going to be things that about God that are going to be beyond us. Romans eleven thirty three says his ways are past finding out. Okay. It's not that we cannot know our way to salvation, but there are going to be things about God always that are going to be very mysterious, and that's the way it ought to be because He's the Creator and I'm the creation. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, The secret things belong to God, but the things that are, that are revealed, those that belong to us, there are things that just are astounding. Words do not come forth to be able to describe them. That's what these ladies are running into. And that's what we'll run into. The old saying is, the more you know, the more you know that you don't know. That is Bible. That is exactly the experience. The more you dig into Scripture, the more humble you're going to get. You're going to find out things you need to know about salvation and about worship, about serving. That's great. Even some things about heaven. That's wonderful. But you're also going to come to, the, to realize there are things I can never know. He is just that great. He's beyond me. And that's the way it ought to be. May I suggest to you that one of the big parts of our faith is to stand amazed. Is to be amazed. 
If we're not constantly amazed at God, then there's something lacking in our faith. These women were to use their gift of wonder and it would help them to spread the word about the glorious resurrection of our Lord. It would seem that the more we run into the amazing power and mystery of God, the more we want to trust Him. I'm reminded of the words of Jesus in Matthew 6 as He discusses worry. He says, Why do you worry about your clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they don't spoil, they don't spin, and they don't toil. They don't spin, they don't toil. Yet, even Solomon in one of his in his glorious days was never arrayed like one of these lilies. If God so clothed the grass of the field which today is and tomorrow be thrown into the, to a burning oven, will He not even so clothe you, O ye of little faith? How could we stand in the presence of God and know how amazing He is and not put our trust in Him? We're to use our sense of wonder, gift of wonder, to share the news about Him and to grow in our faith. You know, what about heaven? What about heaven? The Apostle John in 1 John 3, 2 and 3, he says, Brethren, it does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him. What does that tell us? Hardly anything. We shall be like Christ. What does that mean? It does not yet appear what we shall be. What does that mean? I don't know, but I want to get there and find out, don't you? And so these ladies were encouraged to use these five gifts to grow in their faith and to share the news about the resurrection of Jesus. You know, the best gifts are not those that we can taste or handle with our hands. The best gifts are those pertaining to eternal life. And because Jesus lives, as the song says, I can face tomorrow. Because He lives, I can face my sins and overcome them. Because He lives, I can face anything that comes along in life. Because He lives, I can face death. Because He lives, I can face tomorrow. Aren't we blessed to have such a risen Savior? Will you come home to Him today? Let's all stand together and sing, Brother James.